So we got to travel this year for uh, spring break, and on the way back, I was on the plane with a husband and wife. Um, you're wondering why I'm not sitting with my kids. You can ask me about that later. I was sitting with this husband and wife, and I find out that the woman is a shaman and a psychologist and a real estate investor because living in Connecticut is expensive, so she has to do all those things. And when I wrote that out, you all laughed, but that's okay. <laughs> and as we were talking, I also found out she played in a Navajo drum circle and uh, has written a little bit, and her husband likes to fish the intercoastal waterways, um, or waterway, specifically in Florida. And uh, it's been a two-and-a-half-hour flight, mostly I was listening, and eventually she asked me what I did for a living. And I said I was a pastor, and I'm kind of curious. I just, I'd actually really appreciate if you'd consider, what's the quickest way to explain to someone what I do? Because I could say preacher, holy man, man of the cloth, pastor, minister, reverend, and things I like about each of those and things that I don't like about each of them, specifically reverend, because I'm not revered. I hope that you understand that. <laughs> he is, and I know his word pretty well, but anyway. Um, and she found a way of asking a question that I think a lot of people want to ask about the fact that I'm a pastor. She said, why? And I said, you're going to want to write this down because this is going to be an excellent tool for your own personal evangelism. I said, I believe all that stuff. Some of you knew I was being sarcastic, so you didn't write anything down. <laughs> and the reason that that's what I said is because I could tell that she, or she had told me she's familiar. She grew up uh, going to church and she's familiar with basically what Christians believe. And she, her way of thinking actually would include Christianity within the, the many other things that she does. And the reason that I said only that is because she didn't want to hear more. She was being polite. Um, I want to point out a couple of things along the way about the way that we might talk to other people about our faith. If we haven't listened to them first, um, most of the time it's not going to go over very well. If we don't actually care and are not actually sincerely respectful about what they believe, it's not going to be reciprocated. In this case, I think I was succeeding in doing those things, but either she was tired or totally uninterested or whatever. Um, but what did I mean when I said, I believe all that stuff? How do you summarize Christianity, even if you don't believe in it, even if you're one of the folks here that um, is considering the gospel of Jesus? How do you summarize it? Throughout the history of the church, there have been ways of summarizing it. Philippians 2 um, was a way that the early church used to summarize the gospel of Jesus and, and probably sing it. Um, in 1 Corinthians, there's a little bit of poetic prose in there that they used. But around the 2nd century, a creed developed. You've heard it called the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles didn't write it. That's a myth. It's not true. But it was being passed around in between or uh, after the apostles and before the end of the second century so like 65 to about 280 is when it was being formulated and churches were using it which is by the way when Christianity was illegal and I like the Apostles Creed for a whole host of reasons um, but it is one of the ways that we summarize what we believe it was one of the ways at that time that they were distinct about what they believe from the way that other people think 
um, one of the reasons that I like the Apostles' Creed more than other creeds is other creeds are often explaining things that after the Apostles' Creed we got a little confused about, like the nature of Christ and the nature of the Trinity, uh, the difference between homoousios and homoiousios, which I can remember those words, but I don't actually remember all that they mean. But I can study it. I have the books. But I like that the Apostles' Creed was written as a statement of faith and less reactionary than the Athanasian Creed or the Nicene Creed and you're going to sleep so I'll stop listening the Synod of Dort and things like that. What's happening was the early Christians were finding a way to state what they believe to their own hearts, in their places of worship, and to others, some of whom did not profess faith in anything, others that were uh, Gnostic, which would be a separation of the spiritual and the physical, which Christians do not affirm in any way. There were also other religions at the time. And so we're going to take a couple of weeks, five, that's not a couple, we're going to take five weeks and look at um, the Apostles' Creed. If you have your notes, some of you are note takers, some people say that's how Presbyterians say amen, they take notes. Um, the notes are not right, so you're going to have to do all the writing. We're not going to help you with the outline this week. Some of you were looking at the outline, you're like, that outline looks like last week. Matt found the outline that goes with every sermon. No. I am that clever, but I didn't do that. Um, and the outline will come up on the board. Um, the first thing that I want to point out about the Apostles' Creed is that what we are professing when we profess the Apostles' Creed is both Trinity and mystery. Some of us wish to understand everything, either philosophically or in a more linear, like an engineer type fashion. And some of us are comfortable with the fact that we don't know everything. It seems increasingly true to me that some of the most mature followers of Jesus are the ones that have read the most and are also most comfortable with the amount of mystery that we have. One of my favorite things about theologians is they can write thousands of pages that essentially say there are lots of things we know about God, communicable attributes, if you will, and there are lots of things we don't know about God. This is one of the reasons that you don't have a lot of theology textbooks in your bookshelf is because you're like, wait a minute, did I just read 211 pages of things I will never understand about God? And that's why you're fine listening to me if I go like four minutes or less. You're fine with me talking about the incommunicable attributes of God. But... If he is he, and you and I are limited human creatures, there will always be things that we understand and things we do not understand. And the Apostles' Creed immediately jumps into that. The three parts of it, where the word in comes in, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus Christ, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Christians claim they're all God even with different roles, some of those communicable and others not. The very first thing I remember learning in seminary about the Trinity is you're never supposed to use a metaphor to describe it. I'm like, metaphors are so great. That's how we connect to the message. But the reason that we want to avoid metaphors is the more metaphors we use, the more we're pretending, accidentally or on purpose, to fully understand something. Can we be honest? Isn't it a little bit of a relief that there are things about God that you and I can intellectually interact with but not fully understand? Perhaps not when the sun is out and we're drinking our coffee and excited about the world, but maybe when we're more unsettled with our lives or with the world, it's nice to remember that He is infinite and you and I are finite. 
Some of you are sitting here and you're thinking, the Apostles' Creed, this is like, I come to the barn so that we don't talk about things like the Apostles' Creed. That's like the creed that everybody references, right? The Eastern Orthodox Church is actually not super excited about the Apostles' Creed. They don't dislike it, they just use other stuff. But the Catholics use it, and most Protestants use it in worship. Here's the thing, in between a lifeless recitation of the Apostles' Creed... And the pastor who yells and spits and is so bad. Like, you and I need to return to this old creed and find there life and light and understanding of who God says that he is and then what that means for us. I believe that saying the Apostles' Creed is both for our personal and our corporate joy. I strongly encourage you to hold on to this. We try and recycle these as best we can. We should recycle zero this year, or this week. Take this home and look at it again. It's an incredible summary of the work of Christ. And I think the implication of the Apostles' Creed is something that we would not catch at first. I think the implication of the Apostles' Creed is actually that sin, when it entered the world, is the root of of loneliness for you and for me. The reason I say that is because the Apostles' Creed is very focused on the work of Christ. Why is the work of Christ important among other reasons? Because according to the scriptures, you and I are created for a relationship with God. And according to the scriptures, after Adam and Eve chose to stop trusting God, sin entered the world. Which means that you and I are born into a world fraught with loneliness. And the healing of that is a right relationship with God, purchased by Jesus Christ, which then sends us back to our neighbors, able to have that kind of relationship also. But according to the Apostles' Creed, according to the implication of every clause in the Apostles' Creed, is the assumption that you and I are lonely. And the beginning of the end of our feeling of loneliness going away is faith in Jesus. And the actual ending of our loneliness is through a relationship with Christ. And some of you are like, I have a relationship with Christ and I still feel lonely. Well, now we're praying. Now we're talking. Now we're having a really good conversation because we're still living in a broken world and yet... According to the scripture, those of us that are trusting Christ with our heart and with our decision are no longer alone. I don't know what kind of college you went to, but I went to the kind of college where uh, people hooked up a lot. And people continue to hook up in my life, but I don't live with them anymore, so I don't see the ramifications of it anymore. But do you remember hearing in the middle of the night the guy or the girl pounding on the door? Maybe you guys didn't go to large universities like I did and didn't experience this. But you know what happened was a guy and a girl who didn't really like each other that much hooked up. And then they saw each other again on campus and walked the other way. Is that what I'm talking about? You've just seen it in television because none of you lived that life or went to that college. I did. What's happening is they made a choice based upon their loneliness and there was no foundation and then they experienced the destructiveness of that decision. 
It also happens with couples that are actually in love. But the, the fallout is later. They're actually in love, but they, they make choices of loneliness in the relationship, and later they have trust issues. And I'm not trying to beat up on anyone who has made those decisions, because frankly, we've probably all made those decisions. I'm trying to help us understand why we feel so lonely. Not only because we live in a world fraught with loneliness, but because we live in a world where we initially sense a separation from God, even if He has pursued us since before we can remember. And the choices that we make, that preachers call sin, because that's what they are, are choices of loneliness that end up hurting us. That when we profess the Apostles' Creed in our own prayer life, amongst our friends, we're professing trinity and mystery, and we're at least beginning to acknowledge how lonely we feel. And that we know that something needs to be done about it, which, t- which brings us to the bulk of the text, which is the work of Christ. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. That's from a verse in 1 Peter that's footnoted there. Many of you have always been like, what's that all about? I'm not going to ask, though. Well, we gave you some footnotes. You can look it up if you want. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated, Ephesians 2, at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the church universal, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Most of that text is about the work of Christ. Some of you have wondered how important the Apostles' Creed is because you're like, it's only about like a couple of chapters of the Bible. We have 66 books in the Bible. Like, what about Exodus? Isn't Exodus important? My favorite book of the Bible is the Psalms. They're never referenced in the Apostles' Creed. It's because what the Apostles sought to do, not the Apostles, sorry, like the, the early church, first and second century, sought to do in writing the Apostles' Creed was make it clear who they believed in and what that represented to the other religions of that time. This is about the action sequence in the movie. This is about the, the part of the movie where the character encounters conflict. Any of you have seen Marvel Civil War? It's not about the Civil War. Some of you are like, this is, I love the Civil War. No, this is a superhero movie. Um, I've seen Marvel Civil War a couple of times. The other night, I, I should have gone to bed, but I didn't feel like going to bed. I, knew, I wanted to watch TV for 15 minutes. So I turned on Marvel Civil War. What scene did I turn to? The action scene. I turned to the scene where Spider-Man wraps up the giant man and two Iron Men punch him in the face and he falls on a plane. It was awesome. And then I turned to the end when... This is a spoiler if you've never seen a poster for the movie, but Iron Man and, or Iron Man and Captain America kind of get into it. Sorry if that messes it up for you. You should know that by now that they get into it. So I turned to that part of the movie because that's the conflict part. All the story's important, all the dialogue's important, how the villain constructed it, all, all that matters. But we also really like the part of the movie where the hero comes through. The Apostles' Creed is very focused upon the conflict. 
Which reminds us of something. The end times, when Jesus returns, that's actually not the climax of the story. It's important. It's very important. Theologians call it either recreation or consummation. Consummation of what? Of the work of Christ for all of the world. But it's not the climax of the story. The climax of the story is the work of Christ. And the reason that it's important to note that is not because the rest of the Bible doesn't matter. We have time and space to study that. We're just going to spend a few weeks on the Apostles' Creed and then go back to the Bible. That's the amount of work required. That conflict, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, buried, descended into hell, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. All that is the work that was required to reconcile you and I to God and to neighbor. The theme of the whole book of Colossians is reconciled. The Apostles' Creed summarizes this differently in Colossians, taking from all books of the Bible. You and I receive this by faith. And the reason I need to say that is, I want us to say the Apostles' Creed, so we will, if you're willing. I can't make you talk, but we will do the Apostles' Creed in a few minutes before we take the sacrament. But who's doing the work? The work is done by the Holy Spirit. So if you and I actually believe, if you and I receive by faith all the work that Christ did, both for our life today, joy today, and for our eternal life with Him in heaven and then in the new heavens and new earth, it's because the Holy Spirit is pursuing us. Many of you feel great assurance of that, and that is a wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit. Many of you profess faith in Christ, you do not have that assurance We pray. We return to the creed. We return to song. This is a a church that really appreciates the Reformed tradition. And by Reformed, it's that time in the 16th century when people wanted to understand the church and the teachings of Christ. They wanted the Bible in their own language. It started before the 16th century. The 16th century was pretty active with respect to the Reformation. They came up with five solas. And I need to say these because we can forget the importance of the creed. The importance of the creed are words that remind us of who God is and especially what Christ has done for us and then what do we do. Which is, by the way, why we're focusing on this. We had Easter a few weeks ago. Well, what do we do now? We learn what God says about himself and then we live accordingly. In the Reformation, they came up with these five solas. Have you heard these? Those of you that studied in Latin are not going to be pleased by my pronunciation. We receive the gift of the gospel of Jesus, sola fide, only by faith, which means the Holy Spirit pursues us. How does that even happen? Sola gratia, only by His grace, which means not by our activity. We say the creed to remember what He's done, to enjoy the joy that he purchased for us, to remind ourselves in our own hearts of the good news of Jesus, but not to save us, only grace is that. Where do we learn about this? Sola Scriptura. We are thankful for tradition, but our text is the text, and that's our only text. Who does the saving? Sola Christus. Only Christ, not you and I and Christ, just him. And then the one that I think is the biggest pushback 
on 2017 is what's the purpose of all this? What's the purpose of you and I, according to the scriptures? Sola Dea Gloria. And in some of our most culturally in touch moments, we believe that it's about us, and the Bible says, no, it's about Him. That doesn't mean that we don't matter. But whatever relative glory we have is found in reflecting His glory. I say that because we're focusing on the work of Christ, but something in our humanness speaks back the Apostles' Creed and thinks that we just did something of religious cosmic merit. That's not what it is. All the merit is God's pursuit of you and of me. What we do as a response to that matters a great deal. That is not how we get to be with God forever. That is all the work of Christ. That's why the title of this series is called The Purchase Agreement. The Apostles' Creed is not the entire story of Scripture. It's certainly not the whole story of Jesus. Do you notice how it goes from birth to death? You're like, what about his teachings? They matter. But the Apostles' Creed is a reminder to us of the purchase agreement that Jesus went through for you and I to be reconciled to him. So when we profess it, hopefully in our own devotional times, certainly on Sunday mornings, we are professing Trinity and mystery. The work of Jesus Christ for us, received by faith for our joy. You know, this is religious language as at about its most formal for 2017. But let me remind you of something. There are historical figures in the Apostles' Creed that are incontrovertibly real. There was actually a man named Jesus of Nazareth. His mom's name is Mary. There was a puppet governor named Pontius Pilate. Historians are all in agreement on this. Why am I reminding you of that? Like, what does that have to do with the Apostles' Creed? The reason we profess it is because it's true. Actually true. The other reason that we profess it is because it fulfills us. It is for our joy. This is the only thing, if it is true, it is the only thing that will actually fulfill us. This is not a tremendously practical sermon for your Tuesday workday, unless it's true, in which case it fills you and me with a confidence in our God. If we actually have that need, that's the deepest need in our being, and it's met by the work of Christ, and we profess that in the Apostles' Creed, then we move into our Tuesday, even at the 2.30 p.m. low point of our day, because we overate a little bit at lunch, still confident in God. And you're like, so what does that mean? It actually means that we're confident in the work that we have to do. Maybe you'll end up with a different job in a couple of years, but today, if God is indeed the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, then you are where you are on purpose. Maybe you need to not be there tomorrow, but today you're there and you can be confident in God and that he's asking you to follow him humbly for your own joy and for his glory and for the good of your neighbor in that place. It also means you can be confident in the family he has given to you. And you're like, he and I are going to need to talk about that later. That's fine. But if God is indeed the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, it means that you have your family and your specific job and your role in the world and your physical place 
are on purpose and we can move into those with confidence not fear that's why it's good news So what we profess in the Apostles' Creed is trinity and mystery and the work of Christ that we receive by faith for our joy, which is actually the end of loneliness. You and I come into the world with a heart that desires to know and be assured of eternal things. And in a relationship with Christ, we are. We receive that. We do not always feel that, which is why we have the book of the Psalms. And why we still write new songs. And why we take the sacrament. That's not the only reason we take the sacrament, but it's part of why we read. But, learning to be gripped by the truths of the Apostles' Creed is the beginning of the end even of our feeling of loneliness. Even in as much as the truth of it, received by faith, has actually ended it in our hearts and minds. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the various churches that put together this summary of you and your good news and especially the work of Christ. And I ask that for those who have put their faith in you, you would gently or not so gently assure them, assure us, that we are yours and you are ours, today and forever. As we approach your table and your sacrament, would you bless us, Holy Spirit, with the assurance that you love us and like us, that you call us your own, that because of the work of that the work of Christ has indeed purchased for us eternal life with you and joy for your glory and our good.